I'm Bill Lawrence, and this is my big bag of onions. The government to California, broken hearts and bars unknown. And through this night we'll share a lover On that dog radio I got so many beasts alone What is specific about contemporary capitalism, right? Because everybody was being told hiring has completely changed. But honestly, the resume looks an awful lot like a LinkedIn profile, and people are still asking the same odd questions in America, like what is your biggest weakness in an interview? And so I didn't, I wanted to know what had actually changed. And what I think has changed is that the ways in which contemporary capitalism allows you to imagine yourself as a worker has dramatically changed. And so what I think happened is that you used to live by a metaphor that you owned yourself as though you were property. And when you were employed, you rented yourself to the business for a given period of time. And so you got yourself back at the end of the day. People didn't talk about work-life balance then because you had a clear boundary. You didn't have to worry about managing that boundary. That was clear. And people also... that use that metaphor to shape the battles that they entered into. So there was an argument about how long the work week should be, and people argued for a 40-hour work week. But nowadays we've changed the metaphor, and we now think of ourselves as a business. We think that we are a bundle of skills, assets, relationships, qualities, and experience that has to be constantly managed in the way that a business has to be managed. And because it is a business, it also has to be continually enhanced. And so people understand the employment contract as a business-to-business contract.
You know your body's well enough So ease up on the heavy stuff Control on the energy now By all outward appearances, our life is a spark of light between one eternal darkness and another. Nor is the interval between these two nights an unclouded day, for the more we are able to feel pleasure, the more we are vulnerable to pain. And whether in background or foreground, the pain is always with us. We have been accustomed to make this existence worthwhile by the belief that there is more than the outward appearance that we live for a future beyond this life here. For the outward appearance does not seem to make sense. If living is to end in pain, incompleteness and nothingness, it seems a cruel and futile experience for beings who are born to reason, hope, create, and love. Man, as a being of sense, wants his life to make sense and he has found it hard to believe that it does so unless there is more than what he sees, unless there is an eternal order and an eternal life behind the uncertain and momentary experience of life and death. I may not, perhaps, be forgiven for introducing sober matters with a frivolous notion, but the problem of making sense out of the seeming chaos of experience reminds me of my childish desire to send someone a parcel of water in the mail. The recipient unties the string, releasing the deluge in his lap. But the game would never work, since it is irritatingly impossible to wrap and tie a pound of water in a paper package. The Book of Love is long and no one can live the damn thing It's full of charge and facts Some figures and instructions for dancing But I, I love it when you read 
music in it That's where music comes from Some of it is just transcendental Some of it just really dumb But I, I love it when you sing to me And you, you can sing me The book of love is long and boring And written very long ago It's full of flowers and heart-shaped boxes And things we're all too young to know But I, I love it when you My father's only other regular contact in college had been his roommate, a Pakistani who spent his days preparing curry. Since neither spoke English but both liked curries, they got along splendidly. The person who had assigned them together had probably hoped they would either learn English or invent a common language for the occasion. Neither happened. My father's inability to understand spoken English was matched only by his efforts to deny the problem. His constant attempts at communicating with Americans seemed at first noble and adventurous, then annoying. Somewhere between his thick Persian accent and his use of vocabulary found in pre-World War II British textbooks, my father spoke a private language. That nobody understood him hurt his pride, so what he lacked in speaking ability, he made up for by reading. He was the only person who actually read each and every document before he signed it. Buying a washing machine from Sears might take the average American 30 minutes, but by the time my father had finished reading the warranties, terms of contracts, and credit information, the store was closing and the janitor was asking us to please step aside so he could finish mopping the floor. My mother's approach to learning English consisted of daily lessons with Monty Hall and Bob Barker. Her devotion to let's make a deal and the price is right was evident in her newfound ability to recite useless information. After a few months of television viewing, she could correctly tell us whether a coffee maker costs more or less than 19.99. Anda sedang mendengarkan sebuah tas besar penuh dengan onions yang punya bill.
Out of the darkness, stalls appeared as their proprietors lit hurricane lamps. Full Aisha! Full Aisha! was the call as people leapt off the train and within seconds were squatting on the ground eating their beans and tomatoes. With business in full swing, the lamps lit up the village. The white conical buildings looked rather like bread ovens or upturned funnels. They were, I suppose, made this way to reflect away the worst of the day's heat. I was glad that I didn't have to call it home. When the train jolted to a stop next, we were in the middle of nowhere. Men, long white robes flowing, were piling off the train and running out into the desert. It was prayer time. The men knelt backsides towards the train with their faces in the direction of Mecca. The women prayed quietly inside the train. When prayers had finished, robes were rustled and prayer sites became impromptu urinals. Inside the train, the women presumably crossed their legs. Sally took another Imodium. The next morning, a hot wind bastard into the compartment. Sweat was quickly sucked dry, leaving only my backside and the contact points with my neighbours damp. By the wayside were sun-bleached camel bones that warned that even the most resilient of beasts could come of a cropper. The locals in Wadi Halfa had warned us to take plenty of drinking water, but with only way stations for most of the ride, water was still going to be a problem. Tune in, drop out, I 
first thing is to distinguish between emotions and moods because emotions are directed at something. For instance, you are afraid of your neighbor's dog, you envy your neighbor for his big new Maserati, or you're in love with a person, uh, whereas a mood seems not to be directed in that sense. And philosophers say that emotions are intentional, therefore. And I would also like to distinguish emotions as occurrent, actual, conscious states, felt states, from long-term dispositions or character traits as if we say someone is a jealous husband 
but also from things which are more than just long-term dispositions such as love or hatred, which are normally connected with occurrent emotional states. So these are emotions, occurrent felt states which are intentional. I don't mean that it is deliberate, I mean simply that it is directed something or about something. And this thing is the emotion's object, where object is meant in a very broad sense. It can be a person, it can be a situation, it can be yourself in the case of reflective emotions. For instance, in pride, normally you are proud of yourself. And your example of a jealous husband, the point is that He's not feeling jealous all the time, but in certain situations when his wife talks to other men, he acts in a particularly jealous way. Yes, it's action, but it's also feeling. If he never felt or experienced jealousy, he would not deserve the predicate to be a jealous husband. machine is blue and green for a hundred and twenties and a small service fee I could spend three dollars and sixty-three cents on diet coca-cola and unlit cigarettes Nobody gives a fuck How hot and sorrowful This machine begs for luck All my lines are always wishes I know I would die If I could come back new wind and bright skies to enjoy my suffering a hole without a key if I break my tongue speaking of tomorrow how will it ever come when all my lies are always wishes I know I would die if I could come back new I'm down on my hands and knees every time the doorbell rings I shake like a toothache when I hear myself sing Lies are only wishes I know I would die If I could come back new I would like to salute ashes of American flags and all the falling leaves filling up shopping bags When I first met Mang, I thought to myself who is this guy who calls himself the Jolly Good Fellow of Google? It is on his business card, along with the rubric, which nobody can deny. Mang had invited me to give a tech talk on the subject of mindfulness at Google. Within a few seconds of my arrival, 
He was talking to me about mindfulness and world peace while making one joke after another. His sense of humor was a bit bewildering. Mang proceeded to take me on a tour. The first stop was his photo board in the lobby of the main building of the Googleplex. Photos of himself together with pretty much every famous and powerful person in the world. Who is this guy who welcomes all these heads of state, Nobel laureates and celebrities to Google? And can I take him seriously? Can I believe everything he is telling me? He was telling me a lot, including that his ultimate aim was to create the conditions for world peace in his lifetime and that he felt the way to do that was to make the benefits of meditation accessible to humanity, and that Google could play a special role being Google. You can imagine what was going on in my head. Google? The quintessence of universal accessibility, except in countries that try to block or regulate access to it, is interested in playing such a role in the world? Or at least one visionary person at Google? Amazing. Ed, what's the name of this uh, radio program that I've been making? I don't know. Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Are you sure? Yes. There's a ship out on the harbor Carrying my love I ain't gonna wait for But if I am to be without you Amen Without a home I decided
The Olive Center is smaller than its name suggests. It consists of a single office and a shared receptionist on the first floor of the sensory building at the Robert Mondavi Institute. Bottles of oil and canned olives line the tops of the cabinets and have begun to colonize the wall-to-wall. -wall. There's no room in the center to hold the tryouts, so they are taking place next door in the Silverado Vineyard Sensory Theater, the building's lecture hall and classroom tasting facility. Silverado helped fund it. Additionally, each seat has a sponsor, with a name engraved on a small plaque. Langstaff makes her entrance, burdened like a pack mule. Three tote bags hang off her shoulders, and she wheels a multi-tiered cart crammed with oils, laptops, water bottles, and stacks of cups. She wears dun-colored pants, black sport sandals, and a short-sleeved shirt in the Hawaiian style, though without an island motif. She calls roll, 20 names. Of them, 12 will make the first cut, and six will go on to apprentice. Langstaff lays out the ground rules for future apprentices. Be here, be on time. Be agreeable. We will be evaluating some nasty oils. You will have to put them in your mouth. For the good of science. For the good of olive oil. We are here to help the producers, to tell them what attributes does the oil have? Does it have defects? What can they do differently next year? Treat the olives better, pick them at a different time, etc. Right here, below that bar now. 
the sound of the children once heard Replaced with new parking and yellowed out When you stop and think about it, experimental science can be a bizarre enterprise. In the classical view of research, scientists first come up with an exciting idea or make a provocative observation. Having done that, a good scientist will next actively look for evidence that his or her idea is wrong. Yet how disappointing it would be to discard your own seemingly wonderful idea. That's the first point at which human nature collides with the scientific process. In the words of the brilliant physicist Richard Feynman, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. Scientists who can navigate those treacherous intellectual waters then face more daunting challenges. They must wade through the real-life human environment of academic science, funding, promotion, publication, and fame, which is full of perverse incentives that discourage them from probing deeply enough to find out whether their exciting ideas are actually wrong. Many of the problems in biomedical research today result when scientists often unwittingly stray from standard methods, so it's worth exploring how healthy science should work. Good methods not only test ideas, they help scientists avoid fooling themselves. Careful science is a surprisingly young enterprise. Before the 17th century, natural philosophers, as scientists were then called, often relied on the word of authorities to sort out truth from fiction.
dear Lord, he's gone and left me With a curse upon his lips And no one knows how I have suffered From that awful cup he drank Listening to my big bag of onions. Catherine Middleton, Duchess of Cambridge, is so happily ensconced in the heart of England's royal family now, so beloved by practically everyone, it would be possible to forget the tabloid nastiness that erupted after her 2007 breakup with Prince William. It was said that the prince broke it off in part because of Ms. Middleton's background, in particular, her mother's overly obvious glee at the potential match, and Mrs. Middleton's sub-royal behavior, which allegedly included chewing gum and using the word toilet. Snobs reveled in the knowledge that Mrs. Middleton had once worked as a flight attendant, and friends of William's were said to have intoned doors to manual in Kate's presence. To his credit, the prince and his aides dismissed these rumors in the strongest terms. But the English media are notoriously prone to public shaming. And the way they interpreted the breakup surely says more about the English fascination with class than it does about Catherine or her solidly middle-class family, in particular her mother, who always appears impeccable. Class warfare supposedly died out years ago in England. Back in 1997, former Labour MP John Prescott, now Lord Prescott, famously declared... We're all middle class now, but don't you believe it? As cultural commentator Peter York has said, although, everywhere has a class system. It's our obsession in the sense that race is the American obsession.
When I speak at conferences, clubs, and meetings, I often tell my audiences, many of whom are marketers, to place themselves in the role of the consumer. I then ask, how many of you listen to and enjoy radio commercials? No hands. How many of you watch and enjoy television commercials? A couple of hands usually come up at this point, and normally upon further review, these people are in fact ad guys. How many of you use and enjoy Facebook? Here, hands shoot up in the air, anywhere between 50% and 90% of the room. Is this because Facebook or social media as a whole is the newest, shiniest product in town? I don't think so. I believe it's because people fundamentally want to use media to relax, enjoy themselves, and connect with others, not to be interrupted. Here are a few marketing and advertising tools and methods that are available today. Placing yourself in the role of the consumer. Think about how you feel when you receive or experience the following. Direct mail, magazine ads, TV ads, radio ads, packaging, that is, free toy inside on the cereal box, flyers handed to you on the street, billboards off the highway, automated messages when you're on hold telling you to visit the company website, mobile text messaging ads, 10 minutes of ads before the trailers even start at the movie theater, emails constantly arriving in your inbox from marketing lists you don't remember signing up for, telemarketing and cold calling to your home and office. You come for lights, it's up in your horizon The darkness run when my eyes it's up Give me your drum, beep up beyond them chanting songs with us War is not fun, we use words sound and we light them up Keep the fire burning, everywhere is burning I'm always inside, traveling to So many are we are wising up, so many are we are learning, so many minds are lighting up, so many souls are burning, so many are we are heighting up, Babylon the table's turning. Rise up the flames and Babylon, they are in trouble. Then rise up like steam when time departs, it starts for bubble. So why is the fire it us spread and control ever? So rise up and rise by your no burning at the devil. Always find a way. And we play, so come what may From Babylon we break away Happy answer to the call When we're back against the wall We'll see a brighter day We steady paving the way Call we keep the fire burning Everywhere is burning I'm always inside As we're on this journey Things get upsetturvy I'm always inside So many minds are lighting up So many souls are burning So many are we are rising up So many are we are learning So many minds are lighting up So many souls are burning So many are we are heighting up Babylon the table's turning Diamond in the rough Beyond the dirt and dust Lies the heart so pure Just need for polish up The rain of all but dust it up Pot a boil be cool no no The pressure's rising up But the youths them rising up Turn out by ya Carry we higher as we climb a real Rise there's no turning back higher One step at a time Trotting one foot in front of the other Filled with lots of signs This is road of life we travel on Let faith be the guide
I'm Bill Lawrence. Join me again soon for another big bag of onions.